Hey guys, this is a prophetic word that Tiffany brought us a couple days ago. It's for our new song family, and I'm asking you, please do not just listen to it. Take time afterwards to pray and ask the Lord, what does this look like practically in your life right now? What action steps can you take that look like digging ditches in this season, in this hour? God bless. So I prepared yesterday, sat down in the afternoon, prepared, got everything all together, woke up this morning, and the Lord said, nope, you're going to teach on something different. So it's, we're just going to see what the Lord wants to do today, because I, I believe that this word is in, it's more than a teaching, it's actually instruction for us in this season. So it, it's, it is a prophetic teaching, but it's, we're going to dig into the word to kind of see what the Lord wants to highlight for us as we open this up this morning. So, Father, I just ask you that you would have your way. Lord, we want to yield to you right now. Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do in this space, however you want to do it in this space, we give you ownership. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you for your word that guides us and instructs us. Lord, your word is a treasure to us. And we ask that as we open it, we would learn and grow and be challenged and encouraged in the season that we're in. Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's been talking to me a lot over the last week about seasons and times. And I'm not going to open that up. That might be another message for another day. But essentially what he's been saying to me is how important it is for us to understand the season and the time that we are in. We all know, or most of us know, that the Lord has been saying post-COVID, it's no longer time for business as usual, right? And we're not a church that does business as usual, so we're already in that flow. But the Lord has been really burdening my heart with the sense that we have to know the season that we're in. And in fact, there's a scripture when when, um, Chronicles lists David's mighty men, There's a category that the chronicler inserts. By the way, the men of Issachar, one of the tribes, Mm -hmm. those men that were part of David's mighty men, they understood the times and they knew what to do about them. And I believe this, this message that the Lord is bringing this morning is that encapsulated in a nutshell. I believe the Lord is saying to us, this is the season and the time that you're in. And here's what you need to do about it. And so we as a church kind of need to have a heads up right now of this may not be all of it, but this is a portion of what the Lord is saying. New song, maybe the region, perhaps the nation. This is the season that you're in. And here's what I want you to do. Last Sunday, as we were praying as a leadership team, asking the Lord what he wanted to do, I heard the Lord say, Prepare for the fire. And immediately I got a scripture 
and thought, oh, the Lord wants me to teach on this today. And I thought, okay, I need to get some time away. I'll pull aside for five minutes and just start looking through what the Lord wants to say. And then we launched into church and it was beautiful what the Lord did. It was so organic and how the Lord just moved and it was exactly what the Lord wanted to do that day. So that message was not for last Sunday. (laughs) It's for today. Because when I woke up this morning, he said, the fire of heaven is coming down. And we hear a lot about the fire in charismatic circles. We hear a lot about the fire of God. We pray for the fire of God. This morning we were singing about the fire of God. We released the fire of God over the kids. And so that's not a foreign concept to us, the fire of God. But if God is saying, prepare for the fire, the fire is about to come down, we need to have a heads up. We need to take that from a theoretical thing to a very practical thing in our lives. So, I would like us to take a look at 1 Kings. This is a story that we're all familiar with. 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 20 and kind of skip around a little bit. A little background again for most of you. You know the story. Ahab and Jezebel were in charge of Israel. They were ruling in Israel. The wickedest couple you ever did see. (laughs) And um, Israel was in a drought. It had been in a drought for three years. God's judgment on the nation because of the wickedness. And basically what happens at the beginning of this chapter, the very beginning, verse 1, God shows up to Elijah and and says, Elijah, it's time for the drought to be over. It's time for you to pray that the drought will end. I want you to go show yourself to Ahab and tell him this. And Elijah, who has been hidden away from Ahab, so Ahab will not kill him, shows up and tells him, hey, here's what's going down. And this is when the whole showdown of the prophet takes place on Mount Carmel, right? So here's what I want to read to us, starting in verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people. So this is a big scene here. We're not just talking about the prophets. We're talking about lots and lots of people. And he says to them, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. We see that the people are completely captured by these false idols that they are worshiping. They won't even say a word in agreement with Elijah's declaration of truth. And so Elijah then prepares to have this showdown, right? Two altars. He allows the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth to prepare their altar, prepare their sacrifice for hours. They call on their gods. Nothing happens. Nothing shows up. He basically tells them, whichever God shows up with fire is the true God. And nothing happens. So then we jump to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. 
And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. Stop there. I felt like the Lord, as he was leading me through the scripture, was saying, pay attention to what Elijah did to prepare for the fire. Elijah actually took practical steps in order to accommodate a move of God that would literally turn the whole nation back to the Lord. So I'm sure that there had been many. I mean, we know that the Lord tells Elijah shortly after this that there are, what is it, 700 prophets that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So there are other men in Israel who are praying for God to move. There is a cry in the hearts of some of God's people. Lord, would you return? Would you turn this nation back to you? But the Lord actually gives Elijah specific instructions here. And Elijah follows them and prepares for the fire of God to fall. And it does. So I want us to look at what Elijah did here. First, he calls to those around him and he says, come in close. Coming close, God's about to do something. So he puts himself on the line. He puts himself out there and says, I believe God's going to move. I trust God's about to fall with fire. And I want everybody to know that that's how how I'm believing, what I'm believing for. And I want everybody to see it when it happens. So that's the first thing that he does. The second thing that he does is he repairs the altar which had been destroyed. Now, I know that there are many messages on this. We could listen to probably 10 right now that would be fantastic messages, but I just want to touch on this. One of the key things that the Lord has Elijah do to prepare for the fire of God is to restore true worship. I love the scripture in Isaiah that says, you shall be called repairer of the breach, restorer of streets to dwell in. This is what Elijah is doing. He's actually walking out the reparations of the destruction that has been brought into the nation because of their sin and therefore because the enemy has been able to wreak havoc on them. And he takes a step of faith and he says, okay, this one small thing right here, This one altar, I'm going to rebuild it and make it sanctified and make it holy so that it's ready for the fire of God to fall. Next thing that he does, and we're going to talk a lot about this. He digs a trench around the altar. Why does he dig a trench? Why does he dig a trench? 
To contain the water? To contain the water. To contain the water. So he digs this trench, and he has his helpers pour three different bucket loads, <laughs> jarfuls of water to soak the altar. It's literally saturated. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Then he sets the sacrifice on, the right sacrifice, just as the Lord had commanded his people. All of the steps to follow, he followed them, and he begins to pray, and he prays with faith. He prays with faith. Lord, demonstrate your power and your goodness in the midst of this generation. Show yourself to be God, and God shows up with fire. The fire consumes not only the offering, but it licks up all the water. The power of God is demonstrated, and Elijah then defeats all the prophets of Baal. Okay. The Lord began speaking to me back in October. He woke me up one morning, in the middle of the night, I should say, three times. And he said, do not shrink back. Three times he woke me up. Do not shrink back. Do not shrink back. Do not shrink back. When I woke up in the morning, he gave me this story from 2 Kings 3, 15 through 18. So if you want to turn there, and yes, you will feel, uh, be able to figure out how this correlates with Elijah in a minute. Um, 2 Kings 3, 15 through 18. This is the story of King Jehoshaphat. And he has got an enemy uh, coming against him. Moab and all of its armies are coming up against the people of Israel. And the armies of Israel have gone out to fight against Moab. And they have run out of water, interestingly enough. They have no water. They have no water. And so Jehoshaphat calls for the man of God. What should we do? We've got to fight this army and we have no water. We are, we're unable to continue. And Elisha, Elijah's assistant, says in verse 15, But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And Elisha said, Thus says the Lord. And my version says, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. In the New King James Version, it says, make this valley full of ditches. Hmm. So the place where the army of Israel is encamped, completely dry, there's no water, they're out there in the plain, and Elisha tells them, make the valley full of trenches. He goes on to say, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed or those ditches will be filled with water so that you shall drink. You, your livestock and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hands. So the Lord woke me up and then he gave me this scripture and he said, Tiffany, it's time to dig ditches. It's time to dig ditches. Now, if we go back to the story of Elijah and we see he purposely dug a trench around the altar, is that stipulated in the law anywhere? Does the law talk about digging a trench around the altar? No, it doesn't. This is something Elijah did by faith. By faith. And then he saturated that altar with water and the ditch caught all the water ready for what to happen? The fire of God to fall, right? 
So here, God is telling in 2 Kings, God is telling the king, go fill that valley full of ditches. Why? To catch the water. I want you to think about this. We've been talking about this in our house for the last couple weeks, the fact that we've been getting all this rain, right? We've been saturated with rain. But because our uh, California government has not seen fit to create any more reservoirs, what is happening to most of this water? It's just running off into the ocean. We won't be able to draw on it in the summer when we're going into the heat and we need the water. We're going to become parched as we do every summer because there's nothing to hold the water. It's all runoff. It's all runoff. If you think about this, going back to ancient history, whenever the Nile would flood its banks, you know, the the Egyptians knew the seasons of the Nile. They knew how it would come and provide irrigation for their crops. So right before that rainy season would come and the Nile would begin to overflow, the Egyptian people would actually go out and dig irrigation trenches afresh. Why? So that when the Nile overflowed, the ditches could hold the water and their crops could be watered and would be able to grow. Otherwise, they would be in a state of drought. Here's what I want us to think about, church. When the Lord says it's time to dig ditches, that is purposeful. In other words, he's saying to us, I want you to create spaces. I want you to create places. I want you to create containers for the water of my spirit to be held. Otherwise, when my spirit falls like fire, the water, the living water that is supposed to be contained here will just run off and soak the ground. But you will not be able to satisfy your thirst because there will be nothing to hold it. This is not just a church word. This is an individual word. And I believe the Lord may want us to talk about this more and open this more up next week when we talk about the seven mountains, if the Lord leads us to do that. (laughs) You know that we're always kind of ready to shift. But I, I believe that this is very, very personal. I believe each one of us is to be asking the Lord, what does it look like to put my hand right now in this season to digging ditches? Now, I want to read something to you guys. This is from Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite Preachers, And so the language, because he, because he preached in the late 1800s, it's going to be a little bit tricky. <laughs> but stick with me. He says, and he's talking about this passage about digging ditches. Have you never read that text? Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. What for? For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. You are to enlarge your tent first, then God will send those that will fill it. But most of the people say, well, you know, of course, if God sends a blessing, then we'll enlarge. Yes, that is the way of unbelief and the road to the curse. But the way of faith and the road to the blessing is this. God has promised it. We will get ready for it. God is engaged to bless. Now let us be prepared to receive the blessing. 
Act not on the mere strength of what you have, but in expectation of that which you have asked. Act for God on the faith that he will give you rather than on the faith of what you have yet. Count God's notes of hand as cash. Believe with God a promise is as good as the fulfillment and act when you have the promise as you would have acted if you had already seen the promise fulfilled. So Spurgeon's talking about this passage about digging ditches and he's saying this is how we're to live. This is how we're to act. If God says you go dig ditches and you see not a cloud in the sky, you get out there with your shovel and you start to dig because the rain is about to fall. The drought is about to end. And in the case of Elijah, the fire of God is about to come and consume. So I want us to think about one more place where the fire of God falls, and that's Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, and you guys, obviously we all know this passage. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, these are the disciples of Jesus, were all together in one place. We know that they were in the upper room waiting. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What do we see in this passage that's similar to the story of Elijah? What do you guys see? Any similarities here? Coming close. Exactly. Coming close. They were all gathered in one place of one accord. Anything else? Came from heaven a noise, the violent rushing wind filled the whole, filled the whole, and filled the wine. Yeah. Anything? They they were expecting it. They were waiting. Exactly. Yeah. Just like Spurgeon was talking about, right? They had an expectation. Jesus sent us here. He said he's going to send the Holy Spirit. We're going to wait until it happens. And they weren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. What were they doing? They were praying. They were interceding. They were probably birthing the very thing that the Lord had said he was going to do through intercession, right? And fire begins to fall from heaven and it changes everything. Now, what I love about this is that in this case, Peter gets up and preaches. And what happens? 3,000 people come into the kingdom. 3,000 people in one day come into the kingdom. Right? In that little place. In that <laughs> <laughs> Right? And then they all had to get busy discipling 3,000 new baby believers, <laughs> which is crazy. I can't, it's like it's unfathomable to me in one day to have all, you know, 3,000 new believers to disciple. But what I love about it is that they did what the Lord instructed them to do. They waited and they prayed. As they acted on his instructions, the fire of God fell and revival began to hit. Just like what happened in 1 Kings. The whole nation was impacted by the fire of God falling on that sacrifice, right? We see, the the, the chapter tells us, all the people say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. In that moment, because the fire 
fire of God fell. This is the same thing that happens here in Acts chapter 2. All the people are saying, I hear these languages and they're all saying the wonders and the goodness of God in my own tongue. And then Peter preaches and they come to him. Here's what I believe, church. I believe that as we begin to prepare the ditches, the Holy Spirit himself will fill the ditches with water and the fire of God is going to fall. If we do not prepare the ditches, we might miss the water. If we miss the water, what will happen with the fire? So I, I believe that this is a exhortation to us as a body right now. This is the time, this is the season that we're in. The Lord is saying, pay attention. It's not time for business as usual. It's not time to go about your business. It's time to get on your face and ask me, Lord, what is my assignment? How do I dig a ditch to prepare for the water of your spirit so that your fire can fall? so that our enemies can be routed, so that every place where the enemy has come in to build strongholds in our nation, in our region, even in the church, those enemies can be destroyed and routed. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about spiritual strongholds and enemies that the Lord wants to give us victory over. And if we prepare these ditches to hold the water of the Spirit, the fire of God will fall and we will see things begin to shift. I'm declaring this by faith. I know this is the word of the Lord. And he's saying, will you act on this, beloved? Amen. By faith. By faith. We, we sang it this morning. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. So he is working in the background, making everything ready in the heavens, right? The, the children of Israel didn't know it was about to pour rain. The drought was about to end. And Elijah just took those steps because God was already working. He was already moving. He was already getting ready to turn the whole nation around and end the drought. And so it's our job to say, I will see with eyes of faith what God is about to do. I will make preparations so that he can accomplish his purpose. You know, one thing I love about Rich, Rich is a very practical man. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, God has spoken words over not just Faith House, but words over New Song. I'm going to pour out my spirit. You're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles. You're going to see baby believers come in by the truckload. And, and Rich is like, okay, where is it? Come on. We've been praying for this. He spoke it. We've been asking for this. How come we aren't seeing it? Where is it? And I believe what the Lord is saying is it's time to make ready. Make yourself ready. So this is going to cost us something. I'm going to say that one more time. This is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us our time our resources, our preferences, in order that we can prepare the ground to hold the Spirit, His presence, so the fire of God can fall. I was thinking about the ditches and the purpose of the ditches, and Tiffany pointed out that this is not a, a requirement of the law. This is something that Elijah did on his own. And he obviously was prepared. He must have had a sense of the power of the fire that was going to fall and the display. 
but he didn't have to dig a ditch. A ditch was not necessary. It was not, it was not part of the package, right? And so I've been asking the Lord, what is it about the ditch? And I thought of this uh, episode in Numbers where, do you guys remember when Korah rebels and the earth opens up and swallows the rebellious people? And the next day, in Numbers chapter 16, verse 41, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron and said, you have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of the meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. The entire congregation. And what happens? Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and intercede for the people. For what kind of people? Rebellious. Rebellious people. Double-minded people. What kind of people were at the top of Mount Carmel with Elijah? Double-minded. Rebellious people. Double-minded people. Is it possible that this was actually Elijah's act of intercession. That without the water, which the fire licked up, the people who had drawn near would have been consumed by the fire. Double-minded, rebellious people about to be consumed by the fire of God didn't even know it. And Elijah's intercession of a massive ditch filled with water actually preserves the people, actually keeps them from perishing. It, it's not in the text, so this is extra biblical, but I'm just <laughs> suggesting this could be a representation of Elijah's intercession. And, and I think that what it points to in this case is the doubters that are among us and around us who we would rather see licked up by the fire. <laughs> but there are brothers and sisters. And as the fire falls, our job of intercession remains to bring them along. If I were Elijah, I would have said, you guys are all doomed right now. Prepare to meet your maker. <laughs> but instead, he has them go kill the prophets of Baal, right? And suddenly, they're re-engaged. Suddenly, they're on the right team. And, and I think that that's a, a wake-up call to me, and perhaps to many of us, about those that maybe are half-hearted in their faith right now, that we're kind of giving up on, those who aren't responding to the call, those who are preoccupied with a million other things, appearing double-minded, and yes, even at times rebellious. And this is our opportunity to call them in, to intercede for them, and watch them transition. Yes. So what I would like us to do as a church this morning is to begin to pray, begin to intercede. I, I, what I'd really like us to do is maybe break up into groups and just begin to pray over each other that the Lord would give divine wisdom and insight. What's your part? How does your ditch look? What's your shovel in your hand? 
And then I'd like us to come back together and pray corporately together because we both have individual assignments and a corporate assignment to dig these ditches. And then I believe we also need to pray that the Lord will increase our faith, that we will see with eyes of the Spirit, that we will know like the men of Issachar, the times and understand what to do and prepare and see just like it's already happened.